0: You're listening to Frankly Ernest, hosted by Sam Christie, co-host and producer Allie Hall.
1: Everybody to episode five of Frankly Earnest. We're going to talk about my recent uh, televised appearance on Evil Lives Here, as well as um, discuss the the trial that my dad went through for um, for assault on Nina Wilcox.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. It was a really good episode, and um, yeah. The trial, it's really intriguing because it just exposes a lot with your family.
1: Yeah. We might have to come back to it. I, you know, but, oh,
0: but we let's always try to do. Cover, the,
1: yeah. cover what we can. Yeah.
0: So, As yeah. always. So, yeah, so this episode you want to talk about, we're going to follow up with Nina, right?
1: A little bit. I mean, um, they didn't really you know, they covered a lot in the show and they didn't really get into her. Mm -hmm. And I had sort of mentioned the beating before, right? I, in episode
2: four, I talked about her getting out of the truck and running down the road. My dad coming, you know, them coming to arrest my dad that evening. Yeah. Um,
1: and the show did a really good job of depicting the issue of he's now in jail and I'm being taken up to visit him twice a week. And they really showed that well in the depiction, how the father's, uh, it's weird to talk about it because I, t- I want to talk about it like it's these other people. And when I do that, like it, it forces me to see myself as that kid um from a, from a different perspective, you know, but to watch that, that dad put that pressure on that kid to repeat what we're going to say. Now, you remember like, t- now tell me back what you're going to say on the stand. And this is a, you know, and yeah. the gravity of that situation, like they really pressed. And that's, I mean, that's kind of what I, um, what I want to talk about. That's what, yeah. what, um, what hit me hard, you know? Yeah. yeah. So when my dad um, got out of prison, he was on parole, right? So shot into 30 houses. He ended up doing uh, two and a half years, got off early for good behavior. And, <laughs> which I don't think you should get. If you shot up 30 houses, no. but that's just, you know, no, I feel like that's just like obvious. Um, but anyway, he gets out of jail, prison, and he's on parole um, and he got I, 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 it's crazy, but he got seven drunk drivings in like a two or three year span right around this time. Seven of them. And this is before mothers against drunk driving. This is before um heavy fines and penalties. California justice system was trying to figure out how to catch up with him. On his seventh drunk driving, he had to pay a twelve hundred dollar fine and and attend like six months of AA meetings. And he was so pissed because that was the biggest penalty he'd ever faced for getting caught drunk driving. He used to drink, he used to drive drunk all the time.
0: Oh my god. Here's an important sidebar to add to the list of reasons why Ernie was able to get away with all that he did. It wasn't until 1980 that serious punitive and distinct laws were enacted for drunk driving with a blood alcohol content over 0.10. Before 1980, the laws were so vague that defining what under the influence was really wasn't defined. Ernie could have arguably been pulled over and let go not being deemed quote unquote under the influence regardless of if he actually was. We're able to better combat drunk driving with breathalyzing technology today. But damn, Ernie was able to get away with a lot of it.
1: Yeah. Even um even later, he didn't get caught for it later on, but you know, I was married and had little kids and my dad called me one afternoon and he said, I've been in the, I've been in town and I was drinking and I drove home last night or just a little bit ago and I passed out for like an hour. I went out and looked at my truck though and and the driver's side mirror got knocked off and I, I don't know what happened. I must have hit something and he said, I was going to stop by your house. Like if you see something on the road out there, let me know, you know. And So I'm all nervous. I get in my truck and I go out to the main road that he would have driven by on and oh my God, there's a fire truck and, and a cop up there and I just waited for them to kind of clear out and then drove up to look. And when I rolled up on the spot, there was this big blood splatter in the middle of the road. And I was like, oh, my God, I got to call my dad and tell him. I don't know what happened. But there was a farmer there that saw me pull over and look. And he came and walked over to the fence and told me what had happened. It was something totally unrelated. A cow had fallen out of a trailer oh. and hit his head on the ground. And I so... Oh, my God.
0: Oh, my dad. God. Like, you just scared almost, the fuck out of me.
1: It all. You know, like, am I going to have to talk about my dad killing somebody? And is this going to, like, open all this up? Because <sighs> back then,
3: back then I was never going to tell the story, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, oh, my oh, my God. That's, that's insane, though. Like, you really had me for a second. I was like, who the fuck did he hit? <laughs> oh, my so God. I, it
3: had me. I was
0: had.
1: I was so caught up in that. Oh. You know how your brain will just make up, you know, the crazy. And you, then you're like. I know. I'm
0: In my head, I'm like, is it a child? Together, like, is it an animal? Oh,
1: that's it. I knew it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, he, drunk, he drove drunk a lot. And he was really happy, you know, when I got my driver's license so that I could drive for him when he wanted to go drinking. But he did have a bit of an alcohol problem, among other things, yeah. you know. he been in the county jail a lot, but only one time in prison And when he got out on parole, one of the conditions of his parole was that he was not allowed to go to any of the bars. And so he would pick me up and take at my grandma's house and take me to the pizza parlor. And, you know, he had to do it when he had enough money to buy me pizza. So he'd always buy some pizza and then get a pitcher of beer. And he'd have a couple dollars for me to play on the arcade games. And then he would order a second pitcher of beer. And he would sit there and drink those two pitchers of beer while I ate pizza and then played video games. And be mad at me. And I'd be mad, too, because the quarters ran out. And there was nothing to do but go sit with him while he drank his beer. But he did a lot of drinking. And in in this state is when he meets Nina. You know. So he meets her. They get married. He beats her up. And, and she presses charges immediately, and then
3: we're, we're, he's back in jail again. And he had, uh, as soon as he went into jail, the parole board met, and, um, and they
1: decided um, he ended up, his bail was too high, like his, grandparent, his parents wouldn't make bail. Like They believed in kind of making him suffer a little bit, but they would always bail him out. And he had a, they had bought a life insurance policy for him, and they were like, well, we don't want to help you. But he said, well, just use that life insurance policy that you guys bought for me. And they were like, well, okay, if it's yours, I guess we have to. And so they cashed in the policy and hired a fellow named James McKittrick, and he was arguably the best trial attorney anywhere around. Um, he, had, uh, he had trained in San Francisco with really good attorneys, and, and he was up in
2: Humboldt doing a uh, criminal defense and he was really good wow. so
1: uh, so my dad was able to hire him and pay him and then they were getting ready for the trial and he was in there for like nine months before the trial and that whole time that whole nine months he's insisting that my grandparents bring me up to visit him and of course as we got closer to the trial we were going up twice a week They'd have their little visit. Then it would be my turn to go talk to him. And that was always the longest part of the visit. And we never visited. Like he never wanted to know about me. He just wanted to go over the testimony again. And the test, the, what, the story he wanted me to tell was that, that Nina had tried to wreck the car. Right.
2: Yeah. And,
1: um, and he was just trying to save all our lives and maybe hit her once or twice trying to get her off of the steering wheel. But, She's just blowing this all out of proportion. That's the story. That's all I got to say. And I struggled with it because it was not true, you know. And, and and I was on the other side of the glass. And so I have a little bit of power to say, like, I don't, that's not really, you know. Uh...
2: <laughs> but I was really, really afraid of it, you know. It was this whole, the whole situation was
1: incredibly scary. So nine months I had to go visit him. Yeah. Twice a week, usually, sometime during the week in the evenings, and then on the weekend, of course. Um, And my grandparents didn't really like taking me up there, but he put a lot of pressure on them to keep doing that. Um, I don't know what his conversations with them were like. Um, At that time, I didn't know. I mean, I've since learned that he was often threatening them. You know, like if they didn't help, that he would, you know, create trouble in town. My my grandmother and perhaps my grandfather too, were really afraid of losing their good reputation
2: hmm. in
1: the area. And so, you know, my dad would exploit that, you know, he'd say, well, you know, I'm just, he'd ask for something and my grandmother would say no. And then he would start talking about how mad he was. You know, maybe he was just going to go burn some places down, and fuck it. It'll end up in the paper, but you know, he doesn't give a fuck. And then she'd be like, Oh, Ernie, don't do that. I'll help you out. And she would write him a check. Um, and he had, you know, and every once in a while he'd burn a place down or shoot something up to just to keep the, keep everybody believing, you know, yeah. um, he had to prove to the whole world constantly that he was
2: the big tough guy. Yeah. Not after I, you know, not after I hit him and moved out,
1: <clears throat> he wasn't doing that then, but, um, but he told me about that.
0: Sure. You know, I and we'll get into this later because it's a whole separate story when he took you down to the boat when he was going to kill you. But yeah. um, I've really had this moment of clarity about what you're saying lately. You said it in the last episode, I think, or maybe it was three, um, about how when someone would just command him to stop, he would. And it was yeah. about having that authority. And I saw that again when you were saying that, that when when he doesn't have that victim anymore. Like the the dynamic when it shifts, it, the whole thing completely changes. He he becomes somebody else. He sinks. He sulks, he
2: Yeah, yeah. It's oh,
0: interesting. Me, you know, it's interesting.
1: I, 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 he turns right into a little boy, you know. Yeah. Who um, doesn't want to be scolded? And and watching it was bizarre, you know. When I was a kid, because I I didn't understand what it was. And so I, I mean, whatever those people were doing was just some kind of mystery. I didn't understand how they got him to shift, you know, and I wasn't um, in possession of, of any knowledge. You know, I hadn't been introduced to ideas. I don't know that anybody had in the 70s ideas like um, yeah. proje- projection, you know, yeah. like I know after going to therapy in 2007 2008 that when people are talking to me about me that the words they choose reveals everything about them yes that nobody really sees inside of us when they say stuff to us it tells us who they are that their their choice of, of how to frame us or even how to judge us if someone judges you that judgment is coming from some you know a place that tells us who they are Yes. That's their fears. That's their shame, whatever it is, you know?
2: hmm I'm, I'm thinking about the show and the way they did the beatings, you know? Yeah.
3: Like the um, the Evil Lives Here episode. They were great depictions. I felt bad
1: for the actors having to play these roles, but um, they did a great job. But they couldn't depict, um, you know, they couldn't do the kids' makeup with bruises and blood and have blood everywhere. So, while I, you know, when you watch the show, while I'm, while I'm narrating a scene where my dad's beating me in the head with the handle of a knife over a six-hour period, and my face and hair and sweat sweater are soaked in blood that's crusting in places and, you know, drying here and there and running fresh in new places, and I can taste it in my mouth, and, you know, and I'm, I mean, like, that's, they did not try to depict that, and I, it probably wouldn't be... You know, acceptable for their show. They bleeped me when I cursed. So if they can't have bad language, they really can't have some ten-year-old, ten-year-old actor with blood all over his face.
2: Yeah. You know?
1: Anyway, but the it does sort of because it's done that way. I mean, it kind of fails to tell the story. I rode in that in that truck with Nina for you know while my dad was hitting her and he's just backhanding her. Over and over again his little punctuation marks on his speech and and he drove all the way through town you know 10 20 blocks through town through stop lights and past other cars and he just kept smacking her and i i'm, I'm not kidding her whole face with blood <laughs> did i t- did i ever tell you about when i went to the dentist last? no i I was the last time I went to the dentist, and I know I need to go, and I really like I need to go. It's been 12 years since I've been to the dentist. Oh my god, me all. too.
0: Okay, four, four for me, so it's okay. Yeah, but you you gotta go. <sighs> but I but the last time I went and don't even know
1: why this is. You know if this is related to me not going. But the last time I went, they did a panorama, a full X-ray of all my teeth, and they. And, you know, printed up and had it in the viewer behind me, and and the dentist brings it in, sticks it in there, and looks at it, and doesn't say anything to me. He just steps out into the hallway and starts saying, "Hey, hey!" Calling people by name. Everybody, get in here! And he called everybody in the office to come in, and they all crowded around behind my chair, and I'm laying there, you know, with like a suction to my mouth, and a and a napkin on my chest, and oh. and they're all they're all behind me, like seven or eight.
2: 10 people I don't even know. Um. He's showing he's showing the x-rays and he says, "Look at this. I want you to see how every root is
1: rounded over and every socket is jagged and broken. This is classic impact trauma. and He's got it on every single tooth. You're never going to see a more perfect example of impact trauma, you know, in your life. So so look at this. Every tooth here, when you see this on somebody's tooth, you know that something some sort of impact trauma happened at some point and they they were all like oh wow that's really something they all walked out and nobody said anything to me at all like not a word not a hand on my shoulder not a hey how'd that happen
0: nothing and um oh my god and I finished I finished my
1: meeting with the dentist you know where he told me the you know how much it was going to cost to do the next stuff or whatever and I just left and I never ever went back (laughs) I felt I felt like I mean, I think of that, and I just feel it makes me feel angry, and and so like um, I felt so invisible, and so like it didn't matter. It just kind of reinforced, I think, in my head, like that. Well, it doesn't. My my teeth don't matter, you know, or my face doesn't matter. And when I was uh, when I was coming up and getting hit, I at, at first it upset me. At first, I was indignant that my dad would hit me. He got out of, um, you know, so I got to back up. He didn't really start hitting me regularly until he got out of jail after the trial with Nina. So we go to trial, or he goes to trial, and I had to testify. I got up on the stand, and I was supposed to say all the things we talked about. It wasn't my dad's fault. He was trying to save us. It was Nina who tried to wreck the car. He only hit her once or twice. And apparently, all I would, all I did was sit up there and say, my dad's innocent. My dad's innocent. And they, I wouldn't really answer questions. I, I don't remember what I said. I remember everyone in the courtroom offering me a glass of water. And afterwards, my dad, in our next visit, said that I probably got him convicted. And
0: But um, he was acquitted, he no? Was really
1: mad. He was really mad about my trial performance. I didn't testify right. And that was, I don't remember.
2: I wasn't mentally capable of going in there and saying, hey, you know what, everybody? Yeah. I
1: watched him beat the hell out of her.
2: Yeah. It went on, you know, I was not ready to do that. I was not ready to, because I thought he's
3: going to get out and then he's going to kill me. And if I, if I'm part of sending
1: him to prison for eight years or 12 years, they yeah. were trying to convict him for 12. They offered him eight. And so he went to trial. If he would have been, he would have found guilty. He would have gone for 12 years. But I thought, look at me now. I'm 11 years old.
0: That'll be 23. That's when he'll kill me. You know, like, you just, <laughs> so you, I really you didn't. I felt oh, like I yeah. was in
1: a tough spot.
0: You, you had no and, idea. Um,
1: you know, so he, but
0: um, he's acquitted. No.
1: Yes, yes, they had two mistrials,
0: and then uh, oh my god, and then just and then just stuck with the third trial uh, because
1: um, because his attorney liked the jury, and they had they had um, so Humboldt County, they really wanted to put my dad away, right? Yeah, those law
3: enforcement people all knew what kind of guy he was. Yeah, but they made some assumptions. They had a guy come
1: in and testify that my dad had offered to to sink his boat and give the insurance money to this guy if this guy would go and kill Nina, as if somehow killing her would make the trial go away. It didn't make any sense. And I think, you know, if that's true, maybe they did it because they weren't allowed to bring up maybe he killed his wife. But they could allude yeah. to it. What they didn't know is that my dad never had insurance on the first vote and yeah. never had insurance on the second vote. So there was no insurance to offer. And the attorney dug in and found out that this guy that they brought in to testify had testified at another similar trial. To conspiracy to murder charges and it made the whole thing look phony it made it look to the jury like the county was trying to set my dad up like my dad was just the innocent christian man and and this was just the evil of the government trying to trying to fry somebody just to have somebody to blame yeah. they had um they had and of course they had the uh the pastor from the church and that was
2: really pivotal. My, uh, my grandparents, uh, um, they went to a Baptist church and their minister, uh, Wesley Powell, he, uh, he called up Nina and mm-hmm. set up a meeting with her.
1: And the two of them sat down for lunch. And then a couple days later, Wesley showed up, Pastor Wesley showed up on the stand saying, I would never break confidentiality, you know, because I'm a minister However in case, it's just too egregious. I have to say something because Nina there, she confessed to me that
3: that she's really, you know, the, the liar and that it really happened
1: exactly like Ernie's saying. And uh, she's just made up this whole lie so she could try to get money out of the Christie family because she knows the family has money. And I heard all that and I just couldn't uh, in all good conscience not say anything. The party didn't stay on the stand was that that year they broke ground on a new education one on the church the Ernest S. Christie Senior Educational at the First Baptist Church. In For fact, your grandpa. named that.
2: named mm-hmm. that.
1: I hope they hear this and change the name.
0: Dedicated to your grandpa.
1: <laughs> yes, my grandpa. How named funny. After my, dedicated to my grandpa.
0: How funny.
1: So, you know, they bought him out and he got found not guilty six charges
0: uh, ernie christie jr not guilty
1: <laughs> not guilty oh and the worst part is the prosecutor wanted to poll the jury so the prosecutor requested that every juror deliver their verdict on each of the six counts and so 72 times they stood there and
2: and, and my dad heard not guilty 72 times 12 jurors on all, each of them, on all counts, wow. and
1: I don't think the prosecutor expected that to happen. No, you know. Um, so my dad walks out super arrogant, but he doesn't get to leave because he's on parole. And so every time court trial gets close to a termination, the parole board meets with him in jail and sentences him to six additional months. And so when he got found not guilty, the parole violation still stood and they still kept him in the county jail for six more months. And he was really mad about that. But that gave me a little time to have a little bit more normal life, you know. Um, But he gets out and he, I mean, he was, he felt like this champion, this untouchable person, you know, and I felt like he was too. I watched what he did to Nina and she told right away and, and it didn't matter. He walked, you know, and he was out on the street again, you know, just just 18 months later or 15 months later, um, causing trouble and, and bragging about how untouchable he was. You know, I had a lady on TikTok, uh, you know, write to me a comment, you know, like that I should have told the police and I must just like the murderer. And, you know, which is an awful assumption, but I mean, it's her assumption. And I don't know why she made that one, but um, should I have called the police? I think at 12 years old, I saw that me calling the police wouldn't do me any good.
3: Mm -hmm. I knew, I knew who, when my grandparents spent money for an attorney, it wouldn't have been for me. It would
2: have been for him. You know, he was their, their golden boy, their obsession, you know, and, um, and I was a disappointment
1: if I, you know, ever, ever complained or ever created an issue and he could, you know, get arrested for, you know, setting the uh, the courthouse on fire and they, well, that's our baby though. And he's a good boy deep down, you know, but if I said, I don't really like mashed potatoes, we've had them three days in a row, then I'm a problem, you
3: know,
1: <sighs> it's a bad example because I really love mashed potatoes. <laughs> i'm not kidding oh my god
2: i
0: love mashed potatoes potatoes too
1: dude i made uh fried chicken for uh my friends over at their house the other day we got a whole fryer and cut it up and uh rolled it in flour and then fried it real slow in butter like a stick and a half of butter in the pan and then i made mashed potatoes and then we made a chicken gravy like one of those creamy tanned gravies out of the chicken, poured that over the mashed potatoes. Oh, my God. I love that.
0: Oh, comfort food. so
1: bad. (sighs) Food has been a big help. You know, I can tune out for some food.
2: Yeah.
1: It really helps with trauma. I have a little belly. It's my trauma belly. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I should call it. It was bad, you know, because the men down at the docks, the fishermen, they would... They would they would uh, confirm that in fact, you know, girls mean yes, and they want it. And um, and I remember being a kid thinking, well, wait, you know, just because I want a girl, that wouldn't mean that she automatically wants me. Like, yeah, she might want sex, you know, but and they would make fun of me for my my gentleman views you know um but I always thought my mom you know and even the women who my dad brought out to the house who were who were just you know working the streets to get heroin money anyway you know they were lovely women I I thought they were just great people you know
0: yeah
1: I I never wanted I never thought it was okay to disrespect any of those people
0: no 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 because um, because sex is not your worth
2: yeah
0: first of all sex is not your worth and it's just disgusting that people think that sex workers that somehow that that profession makes them a disgusting person and that they have no worth and that addicts have no worth like none of that's true you know humans are humans and you don't get to decide what their worth is
1: no, no. They're not worth what they can do for you. I mean, maybe to to an individual, yeah. But you know, my dad didn't. We had, and I think our whole family had those old patriarchal values.
2: Yeah. That it's
1: the man's house, man's in charge. You know, um, a good woman. Like I remember being in the kitchen with my grandmother. You know, like I'm I'm grown now and uh, i don't know how to cook a lot of things but i watched my grandmother cooking all the time and i'd try to get involved and she would stop me and say no you'll you'll be married someday and your wife can do these things you know so i sort of grew up thinking oh that's just how it is and you know the girls must be okay with that you know i'll meet some girl (laughs) that likes to cook and do my laundry uh, no You know, so I thought I had my own my own sexist uh, embrace of the patriarchy. I just thought that my dad took it way too far. You know. Yeah. And
2: he,
1: you know, so obviously rape's wrong. Duh.
0: So was he date rape drugging them or was it like just date raping? Well, I'm confused what the terminology is. What's that? I'm confused the terminology of date rape versus date rape drugging.
1: When you get the person to get into your car voluntarily and um, and you get them to fool around, like even my dad, my dad had to get a girl fooling around before he would go ahead and push the way through, you know, he wasn't going to go to the, the park and chase down a jogger, but he yeah. wanted to, he wished he could, and he talked about it a lot,
2: you know. Wow.
1: Like if we were driving and we passed somebody, he'd be like, "Oh my god, we could go get her!" Like, no, Dad, no, Ew. no, we're not going to do that. Um, and you know, he would he would kind of make fun of me, and I would just hope you know that he wasn't very um, God, man, it's gruesome to talk about. Um, but he did he did kind of feel like you know, well, you know. He didn't really, he didn't think he'd hurt anybody by, uh, which, I mean, is ludicrous. It's crazy. I think he kind of got it when his friend Gail um, told him he'd rather kill him than be friends with him anymore. Yeah. You know, that, um, that kind of made it sink in for him a little bit, but he was still acting that way. Like if, if he met a girl and brought her out to the house, he expected her to sex with him and he'd get mad if they didn't want him and once you had and once you had sex with my dad he expected it and expected to now be told everything he wants to know he wants to be able to dig through you know I can't imagine you know if if my dad had you know been doing all this in the time of cell phone but he would have been going through whatever one's phone and he would have been, you know, interrogating the classic narcissist thing, you know?
2: Yeah.
1: I'm, I'm thankful for TikTok because I can follow people who talk about this stuff, you know, yeah. women who have gotten out, um, largely, you know, um, yeah. but the patterns are all very cliche. They're very similar. You know, you, you, the, the dude just, well, it doesn't have to be a dude, I guess, but I, it's mostly, dude just breaks the girl down, you know, mm-hmm. shame, control, demanding, you know, and and you, somebody cooperative, maybe somebody that's a little bit, you know, desperate for whatever reason, my dad could only, you know, he needed to find someone who was desperate for attention or love or drugs or something, because he couldn't just meet someone in the community and convince them, you know, that they might want come out to his place and entertain romantic ideas you know yeah so no because he was not he wasn't good enough at social interactions to pull that off you know yeah people spot you know people could spot those red flags and um you know so he people that came out he'd find someone who he could buy some drugs for and that was all the women that came out in my teenage years And I don't, you know, it always seemed like they, it doesn't seem like they were getting date raped. Um, several of them, you know, offered openly to, you know, to break me in if I, you know,
0: they were like, hey, your boy's 14, about time he got some, right? Yeah, and, that's um, just disgusting, And my dad, too. you know, of course, would yeah. shut that down right away, you know, because Out of jealousy. he, he yeah.
1: got really jealous. Yeah. He didn't even like anybody being friendly to me, you know especially if it was going to be one of his potential sex partners, because even if he had picked her up and it was just about sex or drugs, then, you know, he's getting into his stuff with his mom. And now he's, he's got to prove that the woman is evil and get her to repent and put her through hell. And, um, and so, yeah, the same, you know, so he just tried to start that same pattern with another woman over again.
0: Oh, I'm curious. Anyway. I have questions about the uh-huh. the the comment in the episode. They had you listening to Detective Quinnell. He yes. is the one you, you talk to when reaching out about Sandy and helping with that body when you were a child. Reminding everyone yep. you were a child. Right. Your dad right. forced you to do that. You weren't helping voluntarily. It was a forced voluntarily voluntold thing. Yeah. Um, When you were talking to Detective Quinnell, he said it wasn't the first time your dad's name had come up in a homicide. Now I'm curious, oh, yeah. do you have any, any suspicions? Do you know anything?
1: Well, he, um, he did tell me a story of when he was 19 or 20 and he was driving with four friends or three friends in the car. And one of these guys uh,
3: was a guy by the name of Dave Green. And he and Dave Green and these
1: two girls were riding in their car out this windy mountain road out to Highway 299, which goes east from Rica. And, and they were drinking, and my and I, my dad saw that there was a car coming toward them up ahead, and so he got the pipe wrench out. He had a pipe wrench. And he rolled down his window and said, hey, everybody, watch this. And as they passed the car, he chucked the pipe wrench at the windshield. And the car, this is the story my dad tells, the car went off the cliff. And he, you know, they all stopped and saw that the car had gone off the cliff. And he told them all to get back in the car. And they went for a ride off the road somewhere where he explained to them that if any one of them ever mentioned this to anyone, he would come kill them, kill their families, all the whole nine yards, right? And he went, took them home, he went home, and then he saw on the news that a family of four had gone off the road on 299 and everybody had oh died.
0: God. Oh my God.
1: So I don't know, is that true? Is it something he told me just to scare me? I've heard, since I've been doing TikTok, um, from someone who had talked to Dave green years ago and Dave told him that my dad had left bodies all over California. Oh so my God. I don't, I don't really, I don't know much more than that, you know, but, um, I'd be really interested in getting more information from detective Quinnell on that score. I wonder now, yeah, maybe we could
3: pry him for that information. Uh, it would be nice yeah. to know. And, um, you know,
1: we're requesting the records for his arrests and such, but there are probably a lot of things my dad did that, you know, aren't known about by too many people, you know?
2: yeah.
1: And, and then, you know, as far as the Humboldt County Sheriff's department, they might've attached my dad's name to any number of missing person cases that weren't necessarily, necessarily related to him. Um, it was after he had decided to kill me on the boat, Or no, it was before he decided to kill me on the boat. Um, And like six months after Sandy, like six months after he killed Sandy. So then this is before he's decided to kill me. uh, I'm at home and uh, sleeping. And and he rolls into the house about six o'clock and wakes me up. He's been out all night. And he tells me that there's a... There's a girl down on the boat, and he was having, doing drugs with her and having sex with her, and she died, and he just finished having sex with her.
2: Oh my god!
1: And and left her there, and so his plan is that you know we go in together about ten a.m. and he goes in there and pretends to find her for the first time, and and then we called the police. He called the police and told them, yeah, yeah, I just let this homeless woman stay on the boat, you know. I don't know what happened. Um, but he's been there, you know.
0: So you I guys know. you called the police this happened?
1: He called the police and told them, you oh, know, there's a dead woman on my boat. I let her stay the night and she died. And they came down and looked at her. I am sure nobody a rape kid.
0: Oh my um, god. Because because he was able to spin it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, oh and my also, God. she's a homeless drug act. People don't care. I have another story that kind of illustrates that. Yeah. In, uh, I moved out to North Carolina, the oh nightmare started God. in 2000. Wow. And in like 2003, 2004, my wife and I started going to a counselor, a marriage counselor. And in that counseling, I ended up telling the counselor that my dad had killed Andy when I was 16. And that counselor decided that he needed me to go to the police. Like, you've got to go to the police. We can't sit on this. Your dad needs to go to prison for this. Um, he ended up dying two years later. But but this, this counselor was really insistent, really insistent, and kept pressing me. And I kept saying, well, I want to make that decision. I don't want you to make that decision. I want to keep talking about it. That's why I'm in counseling. And then I filled in enough blanks. And the counselor looked at me and said, oh, she just a drug addict. And I said, well, I mean, yeah, she was on heroin and living on the streets and stuff. And he, his whole face relaxed. He's like, oh, oh, well, never mind then. And uh, he never brought it up again.
0: Uh, as if that makes a difference. No, right? every this person's life person matters. Anymore.
1: But oh that God. is a societal attitude, you know. If oh a homeless person or a person of color goes missing, it's not the same, you know, as, uh, you oh know, a promising, uh, you know, a student with a promising podcast and blonde hair if New <laughs> York goes missing.
0: Stop you know, it. Oh. I'm sorry, it's true, though. It's, it's true. I have privilege. If I was yeah. to go missing, it might matter. I can't say Absolutely. might. It would. But if, if. Wow if anybody else person of color sex worker drug addict went missing it's hard because the system doesn't value them the same no where that no, lies i don't particularly know let's look into that let's mm-hmm. let's you know but there's well, something I mean, there we're doing
1: that we're telling the story yeah. of a man who targeted those women yeah and,
2: um, that, wow. and hopefully
1: raising some awareness enough to where people can say, oh yeah, I guess that, that was a person
0: that was My a human God. being and
1: that shouldn't have happened, you know?
0: Um, you know, and, I and I came into this, uh, like expecting to ask you these questions. I knew I wanted to ask you and I guess I, I knew there would be an answer, but just like, I'm like, wow, at the family of four, like it was already yeah. bad. Cause I was picturing like, you know, maybe some college student who knows, a family of four, it's even worse. Yeah. Oh my god. You know, and like, who knows? Who knows with all of this? But Jesus, fuck, man! It, at the core of all of it. Yeah. My god.
1: Well, we could look at um, fatalities on on two ninety nine in those ranges. You know, like yeah. uh, sixty four, sixty five, probably in that range. Yeah, that would have fit with the story. It's possible to maybe kind of dig into this and find out.
2: Okay. Um, but I, you know, I don't know that we'll definitive. You know. Yeah. Um,
3: if we have, you know, one family that the four that died in a particular
1: year, and could there be information like, you know, the windshields busted in, or you know, there's a a wrench in the front seat.
0: Yeah. I, Found at I, the scene. Would, who knows? You know,
1: once a car goes to the cliff, like. Yeah. That two ninety nine highway is very deep. Yeah. So you know, a lot of the road, there's rocky hill above you and rocky cliff drop off to the other side. And if you go off the road, you're going to drop three or four feet before you start hitting the bottom.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, it's you know, um, the car wouldn't look the same. And I, I don't know. He'd tell me these stories. You know, this this story in particular, like, like he wasn't. Saying that he bad about it, or you know, that he any guilt over it, just that you know this, he it was part of his kind of making sure I understood that he was a crazy bastard, you know.
0: When when would he bring him up? Would he just bring him up?
1: Yeah, he talked all the time. So you know, like
0: my God,
1: when I wasn't in school, I had to be with him, and and he loved to get in the car, go for a ride, and just talk at me. And, you know, and if he could get me kind of on the fence about anything or or get me apologizing or explaining or trying to answer, then he would just have me you know, captive and and he'd make it so I didn't want to talk anymore and he didn't really want me to talk. He would just spill his guts and tell me all these stories about uh, his childhood and about being in prison and about things he'd done to people that he left out, you know. But um but he would just download to me and I would try to daydream, honestly. Like I should have been paying attention. I should have been thinking some I'm gonna do a podcast, someday maybe even write a book about this. I should pay attention to these stories. But I just would tune out. I remember the names, I remember some of the details and that story about the family of four, I heard it from him twenty times. So it really sucked. He had stories that he told over and over again um he uh you know but he was i said before that he looked like james dean and uh we had to clear up who james dean was but but my dad uh, in the 50s and into the 60s he had his crew cut uh his flat top haircut his uh his white t-shirt with the sleeves rolled up and his blue jeans with the cuffs rolled up and and a cigarette pack in his sleeve, and grease in his hair, and he went like that down to um, San Francisco, and uh, spent a little. time chasing down hippies and cutting their hair off by So he was going to make you know make America clean shaven again. He went down to San Francisco where they were having uh, the Love In gatherings and had Hate Nashbury and people experimenting with psychedelics, and he'd catch long-haired hippies, cut their hair off. Get him down to the ground. Well, one of the hippies must have eventually gotten him to take LSD and won him over with the uh, the power of flowers and love, yeah. because he started doing LSD and let hair grow long, and he became a hippie down there. And then he would call my grandparents and you know uh, threaten to cause trouble if they didn't help him, and they you know be like, "I need to come home." They'd send him five hundred bucks to come home, and he would do more more LSD and Buy more drugs for him and his friends, and he
0: oh built God. them for
1: uh, like almost two years. Ago.
0: Jesus.
1: Um, but then he came back to back to Humboldt County, uh, focused on his fishing boat, you know. But he was still like that was the time after that San Francisco, but when he was going to high schools and uh, trying to talk to, he'd find a high school girl or walking home alone and pull up beside her and talk to her and say, hey, you want to get in the car and fuck, you know? And sometimes they'd get in the car, sometimes not. And He was just shopping for the one that would, and if they had second thoughts after they got in the car, it was too late.
2: So sad. Oh my God.
1: It really is. It really is. I mean, it's sad for everybody.
2: Yeah. Uh,
1: even him, he was sad, you know? Yeah. I don't feel sorry for him. I mean, kind of, except, you know, what he was doing, like, I can't, you know? Yeah. You know, my dad seemed to want all the things that everybody else wants. He talked like, oh, I just want a great partner and love and all that, you know. But what that meant was I want a subservient, obedient woman who who, um, somehow never, ever triggers my massive insecurities about you know, being not enough of a man. And there was no way anyone could tiptoe around that, you know. There was just no way. Um, And after, I I don't know that he really did much beating on women before my mom, but after that, that became his pattern, kind of recreating that. He, You know, like Sandy, if you look at Sandy, she has dark hair, uh, very similar look to mom. And, and he, he liked to find those women and, and liked to try to recreate the whole situation again.
0: There's something with that with serial killers that they try mm-hmm. to, you know, there's something with that with organized or disorganized patterns. He seems yeah. to have had an organized pattern, at least with his prey.
2: Yeah.
0: And he, I you know, d- like, like Ted Bundy. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I think my mom is the key to understand my dad's pattern.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, and yet everything that happened with her was kind of my dad playing out his problems with his mom, you know, and with himself. But once he had killed my mom, then he did seem, I think he was driven to try to you know, reestablish that kind of bond with the woman. I, I would see him pick up a prostitute who just was there for heroin and, and, and a um, an unenthusiastic blowjob related to the buying of the heroin, and and then two days later he would be like, you know, talking to them like they were in a relationship, you know. Um, and they'd be like, Ernie, I can get back, you know, back into town, you know. I got to score or move on with stuff, and you know, he'd be like, Oh, aren't you happy here? You know, and you can make dinner, and you know, you can do my laundry. And, uh, <laughs> And who else have you slept with? You know. um, Oh, my God. I just cringe. Like, when anybody says anything about body count these days. Because to me, like, you know, a a perfectly normal, um, misogynistic, blind-to-themselves dude can be talking about, oh, I don't want some girl with a high body count. And I'm, you know, I'm taken right back to my dad, who's, you know, like, whose whole thing was about finding out what that body count was so he could shame a girl for it so that he could start the beatings and you know i mean i got older and i didn't want to know i meet a girl i don't want to know how many people you know what i mean i'd rather not ask
2: yeah
0: my god
1: that's something that somebody can share with you if they feel yeah like they need to you know um yeah i've always felt like if somebody doesn't want to share that information why would they be obligated to you know i can wear a condom you know, and full implication. I was big. All those. My dad especially expected me to sleep with a lot of women. That's how I would prove that I was a man. And uh, you know, and I, I definitely felt that pressure. Like I wasn't a man if I didn't get out there and score with lots of girls. You know.
0: Which is ridiculous. And, um, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's. Wow. It really is. It really is.
0: Jesus. Yeah. well thank you to the evil lives here people thank you to the evil lives here people because that was a really awesome episode overall
1: yes yes i'm really grateful to them i thought um yeah you know i thought that it was perhaps going to go badly and there were a couple of things that i figured out they were doing that they hadn't really talked to me about and i got kind of nervous because i have massive insecurities yeah but i try not to run with them you know I kind the direction though. my dad did with it. And I was really pleasantly surprised. Yeah. I felt like they had done a very good job of, of trying to be true to the story that I had told them. And, and I felt like they gave it a really, really fair, fair representation. They really, you know, even down to like the directing for the actors. Who were doing the depictions, you know, the reenactments. Yeah. Um, like subtle things like um having them show um confusion or or ambivalence at the right time, you know, just it it, it all fit with, with the story I'm telling. Yeah. And um, you know, and that's that means a lot to me because I mean it's hard to tell this story and you know, I take a risk, you go on TV, and people edit it, and they can say anything they want, really, yeah. you know, with, with footage, um, but I, I really met the uh, producer for lunch, uh, Andrea, and we, we talked, and um, I just felt like I could trust her, you know, and so I'm, I'm glad that um, I'm, I'm really, actually, I'm very happy with how they did it, you know, Like No one has ever told the story of the imaginary door in my room, but that was a pivotal story for me growing up, that my dad made this door in my room, and it wasn't until after he died that it dawned on me that there'd been no door.
0: There'd been no door.
1: And I've told that story and thought, this is really powerful, but people don't necessarily want to use it. So I was really glad that they used it for, um, for Evil Lives Here. Yeah. And and now I've got like video of that door. It's very powerful for me, you know. Yeah.
2: Wow.
0: I wanna thank everyone. Oh oh, go on. Go ahead.
1: Well, I spoke with Andrea, the producer over there, and um and I had to laugh because she said she said, I want a door. I want a little door in my room so I can just in my office so I can just look at that door. Yeah. Think, well if I needed to, I could just leave. Yeah. Yeah, a way out. I wish. I thought you're right. Uh, anyway. I it's a heavy one. I, I can I can tell I've am hitting hard with this stuff.
0: No, it's okay.
1: Okay. Oh that's right, that's right. You you came prepared. It's cocktail night.
0: Yes, it's cocktail night. Cocktails.
1: Life. Cocktails and talking about getting punched in the face. No. Getting punched in the face sucks. It was about Nina. We talked about Nina. But, um,
0: there was a, there every was time, yeah. Now, I I really want to thank everyone this week because I feel like I kind of got a little like, and, um.
1: <laughs> a little inebriated?
0: No, no, <laughs> no, no. no. No, what? No. No. I'm saying I want to thank everyone this week because I got a little spotlight on me.
2: That's right.
0: For the article.
1: I I made it all about me. It's so (laughs) exciting. So,
2: Ali... No, 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 no. I I shouldn't tell it. You should tell
0: it. It, It's exciting because I had this article written about me by the Director of Communications at SUNY Cortland. And it's very exciting because he reached out. He remembered when the story about Sandy came out in the news, he remembered seeing your story, and and yeah, he saw the email that had come out from Dr. Jenna Curtis at the school, saying, hey, Women in History Month, and we're featured as part of it, and he was like, oh my god, I remember that! So, there's an article, I'll link it, everybody take a look, um, it kind of says who I am, and what I'm doing over here, but, um, I want to thank Sam again every week. It's just such an amazing experience to be able to sit here and talk with you and laugh, but also literally hold back tears because it's insane hearing. I mean, I I, I just, I can only sympathize with what you were going through. And I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. The episode really highlighted it. So, it, I mean, yeah. and this, this is yeah. really, I hope it's a good outlet. I hope it's a way for you. I hope that you can just tell your story. It's a way for you to, to get everything out that you need to and, and yeah. maybe get some relief with it, you know, like a serious relief.
1: I, I, uh, I believe that, that that's, that's what I'm going to get here. You know, yeah. I, I see it with the evil lives here episode. It's so powerful. Yeah. If people haven't seen it, if you can get Discovery Plus, even the seven-day trial, yeah. and just watch it. If, if you're interested in this story and you've listened this far, it's very powerful. Yep. And you'll get an insight into the, the stuff that I'm talking about here. Um. And also, anybody that has seen the episode, I would love to get uh, feedback. So if yeah. you go to Frankly frankly pod, frankly Earnest Podcast uh, at uh, Instagram, is that Yep, it? it's frankly
0: at Earnest Frankly Earnest Podcast. Earnest Podcast. On Instagram. Yep.
1: yep. Mm-hmm. And then uh, leave us a message.
0: Yeah. Tell
1: us you watched the show, please. Yeah. Um, and let us know what you think or ask any questions.
0: Please. please.
1: You know, we'd love to answer your questions.
2: Yeah.
1: And, uh, but, but, Mike, my, my um, I tell it because I think it's, it's very moving. The uh, I tell people to watch it. It's very moving. It yeah. was very moving for me and it has helped me to see my whole life as one whole narrative. Yeah. It's helped me which is my goal with telling my trauma story is to incorporate it instead of being compartmentalized in my mind where I have these memories but I feel disconnected from them and they haunt me. I telling the story I'm trying to bring all of it into the light so that I can see that oh this is my life. This is what happened in my life.
0: Let's talk about how we feel about the evil lives here episode all of it everything. Right. I know right. I know we've talked about some of evil lives here already but yeah. um how do you feel what are your immediate thoughts what are you thinking
1: well at first i was thinking a lot about you know, how they did the show and i you know i had some fears about what they might do
0: yeah um and especially uh, with paul is right with that yeah after yeah.
1: after paul Azan, the uh, the other one i did was a show called very bad men that uh, you know didn't uh, didn't pan out as well but um but both of those shows really um pitched my story but juxtaposed to that the you know quote unquote other side of what if i'm just a lying you know psycho murderer who made all this blame on my dad. yeah as if there are two sides to every story (laughs) i I don't know why that's the other side
2: yeah
1: i felt like they kind of took that that take you know like what if what if sam is just a crazy nut job and yeah um he's just trying to he's trying to cover himself and a lot of people think that and then folks think well we need to answer those those uh, suspicions but i you know do, i don't know
0: you were um, a child though i think that everybody forgets that when the bulk of when this shit happened you were a kid yeah, yeah. you were a child when yeah, Sandy happened, you were a like child, a kid, like... you know, so yeah. like, yeah,
3: I, people have a hard time understanding, you know, how I never snuck
1: out to go to a party when I was in high school, like that they're incredulous about that. Yeah. And, you know, because you don't quite get the nature of my home life, you know, where if I was, you know, if I took. 25 minutes coming back from the grocery store and my dad thought trip should have only taken 19 or 20. Yeah. Then I, you know, that was going to turn into a meeting. There was no me leaving. And if I had ever snuck somewhere like that would have been just like instant guilt, you know,
2: Yeah.
1: where are you going? Why are you going? Who are you going to talk to? And it would have been, you know, all, um, he, he would have, uh, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't have gotten away with I mean, I wouldn't have even dreamt of, of something like that,
2: you know, yeah.
1: sneaking out, like, oh, parking with a boy. Sorry,
0: now, this is back. an issue. I really, I was focused on the issue of him date raping a bunch of girls. <laughs> what oh, the yeah, fuck? that
1: was kind of a big part of the show, too, wasn't it? Yeah.
0: What the fuck?
2: So.
1: Oh, yeah, so I, he's, I'm 12. He's all done beating up Nina and getting away with it. And, and now, you know, I become his, his chief focus. And that involved me working for him and getting smacked around. But it also involved him telling me all his stories. So he told me how, you know, when he was, he would say to me, don't worry about meeting a girl, you know, in your 20s. That's when you really hit your prime and he would tell me these stories about how when he was in his early 20s he would cruise by the high schools and find some 15 16 year old girl that was into having sex and you know and then he would be the big the big stud who you know is is getting you know getting to be with these hot girls and 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 then he would tell me you know mixed in with those stories you know sometimes you know, they're a little bit resistant, you know, but, um, you know, and he'd make the, the classic, uh, no means yes joke, you know, and
0: he'd and, it no and no means no, everyone. Huh? Uh, I'm just making a note, everyone. No means fucking no. Consent is no important.
1: Means, no means no. Yeah.
0: No means yeah. no.
1: Yeah. He had a, um, he had a friend who, um, was um a member of the the local uh, local indigenous tribe up there the hoopah and um, and I, I think the guy's name was Gail and they were friends when they were growing up but Gail had a younger sister and my dad actually took her out on a date and he told me the story about how he went out with her yeah and um, and they they kissed and fooled around, but then she didn't want to do anything. And she said, she said she was a virgin. And he told me about, you know, he showed me, had me sit next to him in the back seat of the car, like they depicted in the show, he did that, and um, had me put my arm around him, and then he put his arm over me, so he was able to lay back against my left arm and then reach around behind my back and hook my right arm. And then he had his left arm free to take my pants. He says, this is how you do it, you know? And so oh my
2: God. Uh, he
1: said, uh, you know, because he says, they'll say no, but I just keep going, ignore it. And um, and so he raped uh, Gail's sister. And, wow. and afterwards, Gail didn't want to be his best friend anymore and maybe even wanted to kill him. And they had, you know, some close calls with each other over. And and my dad at this point telling the story, like he would kind of laugh and say, well, well, by golly, maybe she was a virgin like that would be the, you know, as if if she wasn't a virgin, it didn't matter what he did,
2: my God. you
1: know. And um, and around the time I was mom, my mom was pregnant with me. Um, my dad was um, was meeting up with a 16 year old in his parents' neighborhood. And she met him one day and said, Ernie, I'm pregnant.
0: Oh my god. And
1: so so he took her for a ride and explained to her that that she didn't know who he was and that if she ever spoke his name that he would come and kill her.
0: Oh my God.
1: Yeah. And what happened do
0: you know what happened with that?
1: No, I don't. I don't, wow. So I don't you, know. you may
0: have a sibling out there somewhere. You don't know.
1: Oh, I probably have a bunch, wow. a bunch of half siblings for sure. We need to do the 23 have... and me for you. Do the what?
0: The 23 and me. It finds all your siblings.
1: Oh, I'm on 23 and me. Oh, it, it finds them if they've done 23 and me, oh. you know? And I, I mean, I have a sister who is yeah. full-blooded. She's my mom and my dad's child.
0: Yeah. We know but, that. Um, yeah. Yeah. i want to say to everyone too we're really trying to work on on the production of this we want this to be a better podcast we know it's okay right now but we want it to be amazing and we're working on it and we hope you'll stick in and be here
1: please please please. you know they back. used to Next week will be so exciting i don't even know what it is yet i don't either <laughs> Oh God, they you know what
0: though anything. they used to is, yeah. wow. They they used to say in Who middle knows? school. I I went to a very small middle school. They used to say always when the the school dances would come on the speaker, they'd be like, "The school dance is Friday. Be there or be square." Every time. "Be there or be square." And it was like I might be a square, but please That's, don't oh. please don't be a square and come next week to our right. next episode
1: yes yes don't miss out don't fall behind
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: and we and we won't either we'll keep going we'll keep going you know? we're here yeah yeah absolutely thank you everybody thank you Allie yeah. again congratulations for your recognition and thanks um, I hope
0: that helps me too. Yeah, (laughs) you can visit (laughs) Sam's TikTok. We do shout it out at the Velvet Brick. Make sure you go. You can also give him feedback there. And let's keep this conversation going.
1: All right. Thank you.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Frankly Earnest. You can now support the podcast by visiting anchor.fm slash franklyearnest slash support. Be sure to visit our Instagram for daily updates and posts for our links at frankly earnest Podcast. You don't want to miss out on Sam's TikTok at The Velvet Brick. See you next week.